Buzzard writes in, Did you see what Trent Dilfer said about Cam Newton's dance moves? Oh, boy. Oh, no. No! No, I don't want to go back down this road! <laughs> Please don't do this to me. Please. Just when I thought I was out. Just when I was ready to bust out the nugget cannon. You pull me back in with Cam Newton dance talk. Yes, you do. Why do you do this to me? I don't want to talk about Cam Newton's dance moves anymore. We have spent 30 seconds so far this week. It's already Thursday. Talking about fantasy football. This is a fantasy football show. You demand nuggets. I am going to give you nuggets today. I am not going to be derailed by these buzzards who want me to talk about things outside of fantasy football. However, here's what Trent Dilfer said. The problem he had with Cam Newton's dancing was that Cam Newton's dancing was look at me, not look at us, end quote. Trent. Trent, 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 Trent. Here's the problem. I guess you didn't get the memo, but the NFL has abolished the look at us celebrations. You're not allowed to do them anymore. They used to be great. The team celebrations were my favorite. There was this one where a football was thrown into the middle of a group of players, and then they pretended it was a grenade, and then they all fell over. That was funny. That's the kind of stuff I would love to see. Maybe not mimicking violent acts okay that's that's on the extreme end that could be at this especially where we are right now in the world that could be considered offensive to some i don't know i don't know everyone's sensibilities oh god i have no idea what's funny anymore i have no idea how long you're allowed to dance anymore <sighs> but you can't do it anymore trent so that's the problem and it speaks to exactly what i was saying yesterday it was that the nfl has sterilized the dance moves to such an extent you can't do anything except do exactly what Cam did, which is stand in one place or shuffle back and forth. He just happened to do it for an elongated period of time. And yes, I would love it if the NFL changed their policy so that now the touchdown celebrations could be look at us. But regardless of whatever it is, every touchdown celebration is a look at me act, is it not? Email the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Contact us on Twitter, at rotounderworld. When was the last time you saw a touchdown celebration that wasn't look at me? So on multiple levels, what Trent Dilfer is saying is ridiculous. All celebrations are look at me, number one. And number two, the NFL abolished the look at us celebrations already. These are professional sports commentators. This is what we have. This is what's out there. I don't watch much ESPN, so the buzzards have to provide me with this information. And then when I read it, I can't believe it. I have to go fact check these buzzard messages because I just don't believe it. I didn't believe that Trent Dilfer said that, something so asinine. And I googled it, and lo and behold, there he was, saying it with a straight face. It was amazing. Now, that's enough. That's it. We're done. We are putting the Cam Newton story in the drawer, and we are done with it. We're closing the drawer. Here, this is the sound of me closing the drawer. Here you go. You hear that? It's gone. It's gone. I know. This is a fantasy football show. I get it. I don't wander away from fantasy football just to bother you. I don't do it as an affront to you, the audience. I respect the audience. I am here for you. You are the reason I exist, and your emails and tweets help to propel the show forward and keep it on the air. 
So I appreciate you. And the thing I'm getting back is that you want nuggets today. That's been the request from the Buzzard community, and that is what you shall receive. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you who I'm picking up, who I am making my priority ads. Now, the leagues I'm in are deep leagues, so you're not going to see me picking up a guy that's 45% owned. Carlos Williams isn't on this list. Stephon Diggs isn't on this list. Willie Sneed isn't on this list. Sorry, I'm in real leagues. But here are the guys that I've been picking up this week. Number one, Danny Amendola. He was available in a number of my competitive leagues, actually. I don't know why. I don't know how that was possible, but he was. Did I have enough money to acquire him? No, I did not. <laughs> I am poor in all of my leagues that have free agent bidding on waiver wire ads. The second guy, and this guy is highly available and highly attainable, Dontrell Inman. Number three, Leonard Hankerson. It's unbelievable how many teams have dropped Leonard Hankerson over the past few weeks. He had a bye week last week. So he's been a forgotten man, and he's due back this week and will be reestablished as the number two receiver on Atlanta. We're going to talk about Leonard Hankerson in more depth in a few minutes. I'm going to talk about all of these players in a bit more depth in a few minutes. Doriel Green-Beckham slash Harry Douglas. Now, Doriel Green-Beckham's probably not available in Dynasty Leagues in particular because he's awesome and he is one of those wide receivers that you absolutely want to try to get your hands on in Dynasty. He and Marcus Mariota together, tethered together, are going to be highly productive for many years. And actually, it's interesting, the Titans recently called up Trey McBride. And I believe in the near future, maybe not next year, but call it 2017. In Dynasty Leagues, 2017 is the near future. People are trading 2017 draft picks as we speak. I believe by then, the number one and number two receivers on the Titans will be Doriel Green-Beckham and Trey McBride. And I believe that will be a potent offense with Mariota throwing to Green, Beckham, and McBride. We don't know who the running back is going to be. I don't think the running back in 2017 for the Tennessee Titans is on the roster now. And I think Delani Walker will still be there and will still be their starting tight end because Delani Walker is going to be 33 in 2017. And for the first half of his career, he wasn't a starter in San Francisco. So he hasn't logged nearly the same number of snaps as someone like Vernon Davis. When they were in San Francisco together, Vernon Davis was absorbing all the violent collisions, not Delani Walker. So at this point in their respective careers, even though they are the same age, Delani Walker has so much more value in all formats than Vernon Davis for that reason. We talked about this with Greg Olson. In Dynasty, it's nice to acquire those 30-year-old tight ends that are in the top 10, that are super productive, but in Dynasty, they aren't valued the same because they're seen as past the age apex. And once you get past the age apex in Dynasty, you start getting heavily discounted. And so you want to look for those players that, yes, sure, they are past the age apex. They are on the back half of their career, understood. But in the first half of their career, they didn't log many snaps. So Delani Walker is a young 31. So I think, again, in 2017, I don't know how I ended up talking about the Tennessee Titans 2017 roster, but I believe it will be some running back that we haven't seen yet at the NFL level. Marcus Mariota, Delani Walker, Doyle Green-Beckham on one side at split end, Trey McBride at flanker, and then maybe, maybe not Kendall Wright in the slot, depending on whether or not Tennessee re-signs him. 
That is my prediction. And we just saw Trey McBride called up to the active roster from the practice squad. And I don't think he's ever going back to the practice squad. I think he is going to start to make some plays. I don't think they have many receivers on the depth chart now. After Doyle Green Beckham and Harry Douglas, it's Trey McBride. So I think Trey McBride will get snaps this week. And there's a chance he could make a big play. And then if Trey McBride makes one big play this week, it's over in Dynasty. Everyone's going to go rush to grab him. Because he was projected to be a day two, day three pick by NFL draft experts. And he fell to the last day of the draft. I don't know why. I don't know why he fell to the seventh round. I have no idea. But he did. He shouldn't have. Because I had Trey McBride in my top 10 most talented wide receivers in the 2015 rookie draft class. I don't know what happened. The explanations I've heard, oh, off the field character concerns, oh, too raw, small school, blah, 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 blah. Nonsensical reasons for a player to fall all the way to the seventh round, given his playmaker profile. If you go to playerprofiler.com and you look up Trey McBride, I'll just tell you to go do that if you're in a dynasty league. That's my tip for you right now. Go ahead and do that, and you will be impressed, and you will rush to your waiver wire and see if he's available. And you better get him now in Dynasty, because again, if he makes a big play and scores a touchdown this Sunday, and that's possible, it's not likely, but it's possible, the possibility exists because he's on the active roster, and he's a playmaker, so it exists, and if it happens, see you later. Because a lot more people are using playerprofiler.com now. They are going to look him up and they are going to go, Oh, wow, it's really apparent that Trey McBride's going to be a really good player in this league. Probably. Again, probably. Nothing is definite. We're not even sure if Devontae Parker is going to be a great player in this league. I can't believe I'm saying that. I would never have said that three months ago. But I have to say that now. It's no longer a sure thing that Devontae Parker is going to be good. I can't believe it. So you want to get a guy like Trey McBride now before he makes plays and it's revealed to the community that, oh, this guy's good. He's a playmaker. I should roster him on my Dynasty League team. DeAndre Smelter is the same way. He's about to be called up from the injured reserve list, the pup list in San Francisco. They need wide receiver depth. They will be calling him up. He is a big, productive receiver from the college level. And I believe that it's conceivable that he will be the best receiver on the 49ers roster as of next year, given what we've seen from Torrey Smith. And what we've seen from Torrey Smith this year has been an abomination. So understanding that Anquan Bolden is going on 56 years old and Torrey Smith's efficiency has been, on a per-snap basis, Torrey Smith has been as unproductive as a receiver can possibly be at the NFL level. You have to go out... And for the same reason you're rostering Trey McBride in Dynasty, you have to go out and roster DeAndre Smelter in Dynasty. Why am I talking about DeAndre Smelter and Trey McBride talk? These are not the nuggets that you need. You need to win your redraft leagues now. This is a must-win week for so many teams. And you're trying to build a roster that can win the playoffs. You're trying to go win a championship. And what am I doing? I'm giving you guys that you'll want to have in 2017. This is... I'm bad at this. I am bad at this. Who told me that I should be doing this? Who was the misguided individual that said, hey, you should do a fantasy sports podcast. I bet you'd be good at it. No, I'm not. I'm actually horrible. 15 minutes into the show, I've given you nothing. Well, I've given you a partial list of wide receivers that I'm looking at on the waiver wire. That's all I've given you. 
And I'll start again with the list because I, I got totally off track. I got so off track. Okay. Number one, Danny Amendola. Number two, Dontrell Linman. Number three, Leonard Hankerson. Number four, Doriel Greenbeckham. Number five, Chris Givens. We've talked about him before. We'll talk about him some more. Number six, Brian Quick. He's back. Number seven, Devin Funches. Number eight, Keyshawn Martin. And number nine, Jerron Brown. That's sort of prioritized, not really prioritized. That's prioritized for the full season. But if you were just looking for a streamer for this week, I would have Jerron Brown much higher. Because I think Jerron Brown is a play this week, given that both John Brown and Michael Floyd are dealing with hamstring issues. And only Larry Fitzgerald and Jerron Brown will be a 100% in the entire Arizona wide receiver core this Sunday. So you have to like Jerron Brown this week. And I'll get into why I like Jerron Brown even more than most people that understand how depth charts work. I'll get into why I like him even more in a little bit. At the running back position, there's not a lot to like. I talked before about how I think Matt Jones is a siren song and I'm not falling for it again. So I'm picking up Jonathan Grimes. I'm picking up Antonio Andrews, who continues to be dropped across leagues. And as people drop him after he posted a zero last week, I'm grabbing him. Okay, go ahead. Fine. Drop Antonio Andrews. He's a starting running back in the NFL. And go ahead and drop him. I'm going to go ahead and grab him. Thank you. So I'm soaking up Antonio Andrews as he's being dropped around fantasy. And I'm also picking up Amir Abdullah because I think the time is now. I think it has to be now. I can't believe it can't be now with Amir Abdullah. And I'm also picking up Brock Osweiler. I'm picking up Brock Osweiler as I'm reading articles now about why you should drop Peyton Manning. (laughs) 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 (sighs) That was the lead story on ESPN.com Fantasy this week. Time to drop... (laughs) I can't get it out. I'm laughing too much. Time to drop Peyton Manning. (laughs) Really? What? Now? I guess. You sure? It's not too soon. Don't want to give him a little more opportunity to turn it around (laughs) from the bench on crutches. No? Drop him? Really? Okay. Not two weeks ago? No? Not five weeks ago? No? No? Now, though? Okay. Okay. Now, when he's out... When he's injured, now is the time. Okay. It wasn't when he was healthy. You didn't want to go out and make that bold claim that someone should drop Peyton Manning. You can't think about dropping Peyton Manning knowing that he is going to play a football game next week. This is Peyton Manning we're talking about. This is an immortal legend. This is Peyton Manning who has less fantasy points on the season than Nick Foles. And no one was picking up Nick Foles ever. And that's why no one was dropping Nick Foles ever because he wasn't ever owned. But yet, we should be keeping Peyton Manning rostered until it's been determined that he will no longer be scheduled to start next week. But as long as he's scheduled to start, you can't drop him. You have to keep him rostered, right? What? We look to fantasy experts to tell us what to do before everyone else knows what to do. So instead of telling us five weeks ago that we should be dropping Peyton Manning because the advanced metrics told us that Peyton Manning was well below replacement, instead of doing that, they waited until he tore his plantar fascia, will be out for an undetermined number of games, and then so now 
at the bottom of the league in fantasy points per game. Now, now it's okay to drop him. Okay, thanks. Way to go out on a limb with that one. Daring stance from the experts. Stating the most obvious thing I've ever seen. So you saying drop Peyton Manning isn't in any way helpful. He's already been dropped. But I didn't want to take a chance saying we should drop him three weeks ago. No, no, no. That would have been way too risky saying that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <gasps> and then last week, remember, the headline was pick up Carlos Williams. Yeah, right. And the week before that, it was pick up Stephon Diggs. It's like a three-week delay with these mainstream media, fantasy sports stories, opinion pieces, advice columns. It's unbelievable. Now drop Peyton Manning. Okay. But Peyton Manning being relegated is a good thing for everyone because now we can go out and pick up Brock Osweiler and he might help some fantasy teams. But he's not going to be a QB1 in fantasy. It's not going to happen. I understand he has Demarius Thomas and he has Emmanuel Sanders. So he has two of the best. If you're looking at wide receiver tandems across the league, it's hard to get much better than Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. And you can contact the show at Roto Underworld or email us. Actually, just make it a Twitter question poll. Tweet us who you think is the best wide receiver tandem in the NFL. Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders are up there. I think now we have to start saying... Michael Floyd and Larry Fitzgerald are up there. Antonio Brown and Martavis Bryant are up there. But are they, as a collective, as a tandem, better than Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders? I don't know. It's close. It's debatable. Let us know. So Brock Osweiler has a great supporting cast, and you can be elevated by your supporting cast. I mean, look what's going on with Andy Dalton, for crying out loud. Look what's going on with Brian Hoyer. These are below-average quarterbacks that are being elevated to fantasy QB1 status by their all-pro wide receivers. In the case of Andy Dalton, multiple. Because he also has Gio Bernard. He also has Tyler Eifert. If you look at the entire supporting cast, all offensive skill position players, here's another poll for the audience at Roto Underworld. Does anyone have a better supporting cast overall when you include passing down back, tight end? Does anyone have a better supporting cast than Andy Dalton? But if you look at Brock Osweiler, even with great receivers... I'm skeptical because his college QBR at Arizona State, he topped out at 70.2. That's only 39th percentile. You want your quarterbacks to reach that 80.0 number in college in the QBR statistic, and he didn't come close to that. Yards per attempt in college, 7.8. That was also below average. Breakout age, almost 21 years old, so he wasn't an early prodigious talent. He's not a great athlete. There's just not a lot to like about him. His best case scenario is Joe Flacco. His worst case scenario is, I don't even know, someone not in the league. And you might say, well, he was a second round pick. Big, tall, 6'7", big rocket arm, second round pick. He has a QB1 ceiling, right? Look at that supporting cast. You add it all up. 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals QB1 ceiling, right? Right? Not really. I don't think so. Now, he could be a QB1 this week against Chicago. But Chicago's not actually a bad pass defense. They're not. We go through this exercise of looking at the opposing defense and just checkmarking good defense, bad defense, good defense, bad defense, the binary assessment of each defense. But you can't do that with Chicago. Chicago only gives up 20.5 fantasy points per game to opposing quarterbacks. So streaming Brock Osweiler this week isn't the no-brainer that others may be telling you it is. And the fact that he was a second-round pick means nothing. Because look at John Elway's track record with draft picks. Monte Ball, hello. 
He took Monte Ball over Eddie Lacy. Now, I know Eddie Lacy's had his problems this year, but Monte Ball over Eddie Lacy. Come on, man. What are you doing? Cody Latimer after that? Took Cody Latimer after Allen Robinson. What? You might say, well, Cody Latimer was a fantastic prospect. No, he wasn't. I didn't know many people that thought Cody Latimer was a better prospect than Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson was a fantastic college prospect. We've talked about how similar Allen Robinson and Des Bryant were at the college level in both productivity, stature, athleticism, everything aligned almost perfectly between Allen Robinson and Des Bryant, two of the closest comparable players you'll find on playerprofiler.com. Cody Latimer is not that. His best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Aaron Dobson. Now, why is that? Because you might say, well, Cody Latimer is athletic. He is athletic, yes. 4-4 speed at 6-2-2-15, that comes out to a 112.2 height-adjusted speed score for Cody Latimer. That's impressive. 128.4 burst score, 83rd percentile. Wow, this is an athlete. He is a great athlete. And how many great athletes have we seen at the wide receiver position flame out? A lot. Why do they flame out? Or what is the skeleton key that can show us, that can open the door so we can see, will this player break out or not? Will this athlete translate his explosiveness into on-field production and on-field efficiency at the NFL level? What's the skeleton key to unlock that door, to unlock that knowledge? College dominator rating, number one. And his college dominator rating was 27.4%, 36th percentile at Indiana. Wah, wah, wah. Now you could say, wow, he was... Super early breakout guy. Not really. He was 20 years old when he broke out. That's average. You could say, well, he was a big play guy. Like Martavis Bryant. 20 yards per reception. No. 15 yards per reception. About average. So this is an athlete playing the wide receiver position. This isn't a wide receiver who's a great athlete. That's the difference between Cody Latimer and Allen Robinson. And yet, John Elway drafted Cody Latimer. And John Elway drafted Monte Ball. And John Elway drafted Brock Osweiler. So get out of here with this second round pick business. Now, of all those running backs I listed, there's only one guy that we need to talk about, and that's Jonathan Grimes. The Monday night game, Texans versus Bengals. Just an awful game. Just another one of these awful games, these awful products that the NFL is putting in front of us. In that game, Jonathan Grimes had a nice 14-yard run up the middle, and his yards per touch in Week 10, 6.43. Alfred Blue's yards per touch in Week 10, 2.38. Jonathan Grimes almost tripled Alfred Blue's yards per touch. And now, Chris Polk, the other running back in this melange of running backs that we have in Houston. Spoiled, rotten salad of arugula and bib lettuce, right? Endive, all spoiled, brown, wet, salad, gross. That's what it is. The running back committee in Houston is just this salad of disgusting green leaves. If you're picking through the salad trying to find the one leaf that you could possibly consume and not gag, it would be Jonathan Grimes. Because now it's going to be just Jonathan Grimes and Alfred Blue healthy with Chris Polk straining his hamstring in Week 10. So we're getting closer and closer, wheezing our way, inching our way, grinding our way forward to a point where... My Bill O'Brien can finally, I almost called him, I almost called him Mike McCarthy. You realize that? Because there's just a handful of 
really bad coaches that make awful personnel decisions, that put the wrong players in the wrong personnel packages, that blow the in-game decisions, that are just bad on all levels, bad in all phases of coaching. Bill O'Brien's one, Mike McCarthy's the other, and I, I interchange them. It's Bill O'Brien has been very slow in realizing that Jonathan Grimes is a superior running back to Alfred Blue, that Jonathan Grimes should be their bell cow, and that Alfred Blue should maybe be in there for a series to give Jonathan Grimes a breather. That's it. And then next year, Alfred Blue should be released and never allowed back into the league. No, that, that's not going to happen yet. It might happen. I mean, it might. Again, it might. It might. Who knows what's going to happen when these coaches will finally take their heads out of their own butt chins. Man, I hope it's soon, man. I really do. And I think it has to be. They're watching the film that we're watching. We're seeing Jonathan Grimes look more explosive and more competent on the field than Alfred Blue. So for that reason, this hope that maybe the Texans will go back to 2013 and look at the game tape from week 17 where Jonathan Grimes was the workhorse back and posted over 20 fantasy points, maybe they will do that. Maybe they will pull that from the archives and go, oh, slap their forehead. We, we had a bell cow all along. We didn't need this wet, rotting salad. We had Jonathan Grimes. He's, he's a nice, strong piece of kale, that Jonathan Grimes. <laughs> and I'm also picking up Amir Abdullah, as I said, because if you go to his profile, he's explosive. He's the best in terms of athleticism in this 2015 running back draft class. And eventually, he is going to start translating that athleticism onto the field. And we know that because unlike Cody Latimer, Amir Abdullah was the best athlete in his draft class and was also super hyper productive at Nebraska. So it's only a matter of time until he gets it figured out and the Lions get it figured out that they need to be giving him the carries. Now, for the same reason that Cleveland has installed Johnny Manziel as their starter, even though a healthy Josh McCown is a better quarterback, gives the Browns a better chance to win, that doesn't matter because the NFL doesn't incentivize teams to win. You want to lose so you get a higher draft pick. So for a couple reasons, Cleveland should be playing Johnny Manziel because it's in their best interests, number one, to get a better draft pick, and number two, to see what they have in Johnny Manziel to have a more full assessment of his ability. So it's a rational decision for Cleveland to play Johnny Manziel, and using that same rationale, that same logic, I believe that the 2-7 and seven Lions should be playing Amir Abdullah, and I think they will play him more. But he hasn't been productive in any week all season in fantasy football, so he's highly available on waiver wires. I feel like I've been going back to this Amir Abdullah well on multiple occasions this year, advising you to pick him up, and then he fails, advising you to pick him up, and then he fails. But when you have a player like Amir Abdullah, who has the great college production, who has the great athleticism, those are the players in which I have conviction. And when everyone else has finally soured on them, that's the moment I move in and I picked them up at an extreme discount. And it's players like that that helped me win fantasy championships. Also, they say Amir Abdullah is this super fumble-prone guy. He needs to solve his fumbling issues. Amir Abdullah has lost one fumble all season on a pass play or a run play. One. He might have lost a couple other fumbles and then the Lions recovered them. But in terms of turnovers created on first or second or third down by Amir Abdullah, the number is one. So we need to get over ourselves with this 
this idea that we know that Amir Abdullah is fumble prone. We don't. And by the way, we're talking about subjective statistics like drops. Fumbles not lost is a subjective statistic because I've seen a lot of balls end up on the ground and they don't get marked off as fumbles. Fumble lost is clear. You fumbled it and the other team recovered, but sometimes you drop the ball and then you fall on it and that doesn't get classified as a fumble that wasn't lost. So again, using the fumbles not lost number in order to justify not targeting Amir Abdullah on your waiver wire and rationalizing why the Lions shouldn't be playing him is silly. doesn't make sense. Now, these wide receivers, these are where my focus is. There's just not a lot else to like. I don't have any tight ends for you. One quarterback might be kind of interesting in Brock Osweiler, but I'm not as interested in him this week as others are. And these running backs, I'm not very excited about. With Amir Abdullah and Jonathan Grimes, I'm hoping that the coaches come to Jesus and embrace reality, but a lot of times that's wishful thinking. But these wide receivers, I like. Now, Danny Amendola is number one. I mean, that's whenever you see a major injury to a star like Julian Edelman and you see the next guy up is obvious, and in this case, it's Danny Amendola, then he becomes the number one waiver ad that week, and and I'm not going to dispute that. Of course, Danny Amendola is the number one waiver ad this week, and, and rightfully so. But let's not get it twisted. Danny Amendola is nothing like Julian Edelman, despite what the broadcasters say, because they're both small and white, doesn't mean they're similar. Julian Edelman is an amazing athlete. Danny Amendola is not. Now that said, as a high volume slot receiver, Danny Amendola will be a top 24 fantasy wide receiver for the rest of the season with Edelman out. The other interesting wide receiver on New England is Keyshawn Martin, who I believe is more likely to step into Edelman's old flanker role than Aaron Dobson is because when interviewed Tom Brady mentioned Keyshawn Martin's name he didn't mention Aaron Dobson's name now I believe Aaron Dobson is a better receiver than Keyshawn Martin I'm not an Aaron Dobson enthusiast I never have been why you know why you know why you all know why you can all say it just say it you know why low college dominator we yes you know why but he's still better than Keyshawn Martin but that doesn't seem to matter with some of these quarterbacks and some of these systems they care more about precise route running than anything else. That's why Jeff Janis remains relegated in Green Bay. And I believe because Tom Brady trusts, ugh, trust talk. I just, ugh. as much as it pains me to analyze how much a quarterback trusts a receiver, it matters. We've seen it with Jeff Janis. It matters. Sadly, it matters more than we would like. And I believe that Tom Brady trusts Keyshawn Martin more than he trusts Aaron Dobson. So Keyshawn Martin has an amazing opportunity to step in and become the number three receiver for one of the most prolific offenses in the league. Now, also, because Deion Lewis isn't there, he becomes the full-blown number four wide receiver in the read progressions. If Deion Lewis was still there, then it would be a little less exciting if you own Keyshawn Martin because he would still be the fifth priority in the read progression. But without Deion Lewis... It goes Gronk, LaFell slash Amendola, depending on what routes are being run. And then number four is going to be Keyshawn Martin. So for that reason, you have to go grab Keyshawn Martin just in case. This is one of those players you pick up and see how many snaps he gets, see what his role is this Sunday, and then go from there. This is why we constantly turn over the back of your fantasy roster, picking up guys, seeing how they're used, seeing what their role is, and if their role is minimal 
you drop them and you pick up the next guy. This is what flyers are. This is how we use flyers in fantasy football. And a perfect use of a flyer bench slot is on Keyshawn Martin this week. Now, you wouldn't pick up Keyshawn Martin before you pick up Leonard Hankerson because Leonard Hankerson is a starting wide receiver. Roddy White. Roddy White. (laughs) Roddy White. I mean, we've talked endlessly about Leonard Hankerson. You know I love his college dominator. You know I love his athleticism. You know I think he can be an efficient wide receiver opposite Julio Jones and BA Fantasy WR2. I think Leonard Hankerson will have a Fantasy WR2 at some point in his career. And it might be sooner than later because of Roddy White. Negative 10.2 production premium is 70th in the league. Negative 10.2% target premium is 66th in the league. Every efficiency metric on Roddy White's profile on playerprofiler.com is outside the top 50. And the biggest indictment with Roddy White is his targets to snap ratio, his hog rate. He's on the field a lot, and they never throw to him because he can't separate. And you know that because his hog rate on playerprofiler.com, 6.3% is the bottom. And it's not particularly close. The idea that someone would have an 88% snap share through eight games and only have 30 targets is mind-blowing. In particular, when that player has the brand equity of a Roddy White, when he is a known commodity, when he has been trusted, when he is an all-pro receiver for multiple years, when he's been the team's number one receiver for almost a decade. The idea that Roddy White would have a 6.3% hog rate is it's one of the more mind-blowing statistics of this season. And so for that reason, I'm picking up Leonard Hankerson because I think he slides back into that number two receiver role. The number two receiver role so far this season has been played by Jacob Tammy. And the reinstallment of Leonard Hankerson means that Jacob Tammy's production will decrease. And forget Justin Hardy. He had his opportunity and he didn't flash. So it's all about Leonard Hankerson now. And that's it. I don't have time for another nugget. I usually like to end the show on a crescendo. And I had nothing for you today. I'm bad at this.